Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Napa know-how. This month, Napa's got all kinds of motor oil deals that can save you some serious cash. Like a five-quart jug of Napa Full Synthetic Motor Oil for just $16.49. With savings like that, you may start feeling like a VIP. But don't let it go to your head. These oil deals are for everyone. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. General states pricing. Sales prices not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. Offer ends 831.20. Tell your chico pit boomers to 305, but it said Mr. Worldwide. You already know what it is. Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Subscribe today. Now, part of the things that we're doing over here at Negative to Positive is encouraging people to change their lives, change the things that are within their power. I want to thank our good friends at KFC for helping me bring this to you. Feed your whole crew with KFC. Let's go. I can get the KFC bucket of chicken, and you know, that's fire. Now, Bobo, you know that you could get that mac and cheese, that mashed potato, gravy, those biscuits. Now, that's that's trouble right there. That is fire right there. You know, on Negative to Positive, we're always talking about striving and achievement. And, and the Colonel Sanders story is, is a story that inspired me since I was 10 years old. Look how life comes full circle. Now I'm talking about Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken and how much I love it. <laughs> Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Check out the vodcast. Subscribe today. Apple Podcast. Podcast One. Spotify. Hello, everyone, and welcome back for a brand new episode of The Witching Hour. I am Perry Nemro from Sitting Across from Haley Fact, who I haven't seen Hello. in way too long. Welcome back. But two other people I haven't seen in way too long. A year since Sundance last year. We've got the filmmakers of The Lodge here, Severn Fiala and Veronica Franz. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank she knows you. I've not shut up about your movie Extremely since January true. 2019. We talk about horror once a week, <laughs> we do. which means I've heard about it about once a week. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I think I've seen it like five times nice. at this point. So I don't yeah, have a problem. Really? I don't How have a problem. I swear. Um, I think it was because what was it? It was Sundance, and then after that, did it go to Overlook? I think I saw it again at Overlook, and then through links prepping for the release, and then the release got pushed back, so I got another link, and I just <laughs> have no problem watching it over and over. She loves what she loves. I do, I do, yeah. and then I abuse my my DVDs and screener links. What else do you love? Um, I'm trying. I want to give you a, a genre movie that I watched obsessively last year, and that's easy because my number two movie of last year was oh. Us. Yeah. Oh, I watched Us yes. a lot. Yeah. Okay. Is there anything from last year that you guys really liked? Yeah, we thought about Boyda, like Grenz. Oh, like yeah, the, yeah. The, the, um, yeah, we really enjoyed that one. Weirdest yeah. sex scene like ever. <laughs> no, best best weirdest sex scene. Hermaphrodites. Wow, what a difficult word. <laughs> <laughs> so for our viewers out there who don't know much about the two of you, uh, in addition to The Lodge, you guys also wrote and directed uh, Goodnight Mommy, which is also well worth checking out. But I am curious, what is it that said that made you guys say, "I want to be filmmakers," but also specifically, we want to be genre filmmakers? Oh, that's a very difficult question, actually. I think, um, and we might have dif different answers to that because I like uh, went to film school and kind of always wanted to 
become a filmmaker and kind of learn it in school because I think there was no other way I could think of. I'm a school person, or used to be, until I was disappointed by film school in a way. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it felt natural to me. And horror, just because I think it has been my first uh, love when it comes to watching films. It's just extremely tense and can tell a lot about like taboos and society and stuff but in a way that really gets to me so I think that was natural that we wanted to make films like that and actually I never wanted to become a filmmaker <laughs> and uh, but I also have to say I, I didn't want to know what to become so I started with journalism because I'm a very curious person and <laughs> I, I wanted to know more about the world and I think yeah journalism is a good kind of <laughs> good way to explore it and like yeah to get to know people and at a certain point I kind of I, I started writing about films actually so, um, yeah, so I started like that, actually. <laughs> well, now I have to ask, having that kind of background, I mean, what do you think about what we do? What was your experience <laughs> with, with Goodbye Mommy, with uh, the Sundance debut uh, with The Lodge? Yeah, it was kind of weird because I know the other side, of course. I know and I, I really appreciate that you said you saw it five times, The Lodge, because usually uh, journalists don't do that <laughs> in my experience. And uh, I, I'm also talking about myself because time is short. Short. You have to report and write about a lot of movies and you love certain, only certain of, of them. So it's kind of difficult. And um, yeah, so I kind of tried to protect me and actually only Severin kind of read all the reviews or listened to. <laughs> uh, and I only told her about the good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> how, did, how did you make the leap then from journalism into filmmaking since it wasn't like your goal to begin with? Actually... Um, yeah, it was around when I was 30 years old. I kind of went to New York and kind of worked as a journalist there. Uh, but I reported back home to Austria. And um, when I, after, like, it was for a year and then I came back to Austria. And um, it, I felt very bored there. And I had, I had the strong kind of <laughs> feeling I have to move on. I have to do something else. And I met a documentary filmmaker and I've interviewed him and I thought, oh, maybe, you know, as a journalist, you, you know how to research things, you know, you know. And so I thought maybe I can be of any help for him and asked him. And yeah, this was the beginning of my <laughs> film uh, career and life. <laughs> and then what was it like deciding that you wanted to be co-directors yeah. together? Was there ever any idea to maybe be a solo director and then you kind of found something in each other that maybe you needed to improve upon as a director? Yeah, actually, I think it's not a, like we always say, we don't, it was not a career plan, but we found out that we kind of share one brain and maybe one heart when it comes to, to movies. So it felt really natural in a way. So we, we actually started finding out that we loved the same stuff when I was like Veronica's babysitter. I mean, not her babysitter because she's a babysitter <laughs> of her children <laughs> when I was like 14 years old. And I was a huge film fan and wasn't paid in money. Uh, you always say I didn't want money. I'm not sure. No, you were. That. Yeah, I, I really <laughs> liked you because it was very cheap because he, he only wanted me to kind of rent VHS cassettes. <laughs> At the nearest deal. video store. <laughs> so that, that, yeah, I mean. Yeah, and then she came home like uh, at midnight or whenever and I was watching films and she would watch them with me and then we found out we liked the same stuff, which was 
weird for me back then. I was like 14. I felt, okay, why is she, why does she like Friday the 13th part 8? <laughs> but I liked it. And that's when we started to find out we liked the same stuff. And uh, it naturally grew. It wasn't a career plan in a way. To make uh, yeah, together. it was no intellectual decision at all. It's, I always say it's kind of, um, I'm not a believer, but I, it's kind of a gift if you if you get that from another person. I mean, as a journalist, I, I kind of most of the time I felt lonely because you usually you are alone. You write alone. You kind of you know, yeah. It's it's kind of and I always was looking for someone to kind of collaborate. And I think if you are into film, you should be a collaborative person um, because this is what is it all about makes me so happy to hear that. It's just like it's so it, – it's kind of unusual and very lucky when you can find that one person that you're totally in sync with. So when you find that person, you hold tight to them. That's why we keep podcasting together. That's right. Yes. <laughs> and it's no love story. I mean it's no – I mean it is, but on another level. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about how The Lodge came into focus for you? So Goodnight Mommy comes out, gets a, a rave response. Does it make it much easier for you guys to get the next feature off the ground? Actually – we had a next feature planned to get off the ground, but it was like a German-speaking thing that we, like a period piece, and we never thought about doing a film English language or in the U.S., so that wasn't in our minds at all, and we were kind of shocked like with, uh, like with by the success of Good and Mommy in a way and by all the reactions and producers and agents coming up to us and asking if we wouldn't want to make a film in the U.S., and we told every single one of them, no, and we were sincere about that. We didn't have any uh, aspirations of doing that. Um, but they didn't give up in a way. And then we gave up and said, okay, let's just say, okay, we sign agents, we read scripts just to basically make the, the whole uh, pressure stop. <laughs> and then we, we did and we got like hundreds of scripts, most of them about twins, like, <laughs> yeah, we're good at that. Yeah, we thought we are the, the leading experts in making films with twin boys, uh, and there are like there is a surprising number of scripts involving twin boys, but we didn't want to do any of of those movies. And then, like, once got a script that only said on the the cover like untitled Hammer uh, thriller, and we felt okay, Hammer. Wow, that's kind of an honor because we're hugely in love with all the Hammer films from the fifties, sixties. 70s um, yeah so I think we read it uh, and wanted to love it and actually did it was a very exciting very thrilling script um, which um, we felt okay there is something there but we need to kind of make it our own as we think we are like we have a very specific way of telling our stories hopefully like in a visual way very atmospheric and I think it's hard for screenwriters who just write something on spec and not with us in mind to get that right for us so we kind of took the script and also wrote on it to make it our own and to make it like um, turn it into like our kind of movie um, yeah which took a while and, and weirdly enough producers were happy with what we wrote and financed it. <laughs> Do you find that now that The Lodge has similarly been a big festival hit like Goodnight Mommy was, that that pressure to read more scripts, to do more projects has now intensified because of this film? I think we are more professional. Like, 
<laughs> we got more professional about yeah, the whole a, process. A tiny bit, a tiny bit more professional. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. Uh, because you know, in Europe, you would never pitch as a director. You would never do a pitch for a film. It's just not how the system works in Europe. And so, when we kind of got uh, scripts, even though if we, when we liked it, then we found out okay, they sent it not only to us but to ten other directors, and you have basically to pitch yourself. And we are not we are not good in, in no at that and in promoting ourselves or selling ourselves because this is. Not how we grew up. So we're very Austrian. It's more or less we keep we try to convince producers that we're not the right people for the job, <laughs> and we're very good at that actually. Like we managed to do like in several locations to really convince the other person that we might not be the correct or the, the perfect uh, directors for the job. So that's. <laughs> but actually, there was one we were very close, very close. There was one episode of Black Mirror. They kind of asked us, and mm. you know, by that time we, were, we already knew. Okay, maybe they asked many directors. So we said, okay, how many how many people are involved? They said, oh, they only asked two 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 directors. You and one. So other you person. and one other person. So we kind of really prepared and tried and pitched. Fifty yeah, fifty <laughs> chance. As good as we can. <laughs> I hope they circle back yeah. about that. Yes, actually, they yeah, declined. They <laughs> yeah, they we shouldn't do it. And then they, we asked them, so who was the other kind of guy or person or director? And they said, oh, it was Jodie Foster. <laughs> <laughs> and oh I said, my. okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not, right. a, not a half bad person to be going yeah, up exactly. against there. But like Very the good conversation. to uh, directing a Black Mirror episode is going to be stuck in my head now. It's, yeah, it's, we really like it. Yeah, we really like it. It's a great, great show. It's a good fit. I see your uh, your aesthetic and your tone fitting very well with that kind of material. But actually, I think we would make it like a two hour episode. Like in our <laughs> like in, like our way of doing it, makes stuff longer because we try to work our way around dialogue. And if you tell it like visually and without so much dialogue, it takes much longer. So I think. It, the classical Black Mirror episode is like two hours when we do it. <laughs> well, actually, speaking that was part of my pitch, which means don't take us for Black Mirror because we're <laughs> going to do it too long. Hi. Speaking of uh, that kind of approach to storytelling here, it makes me think of the dollhouse material that you shot, you know, some some mood, mood and atmospheric uh, making material that doesn't necessarily have dialogue. So is that something that was in the script from the very beginning or was that your aesthetic idea to put into it? Oh, it was our idea, actually. Yeah, it was not included in the first version of 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 the of the script, and we kind of liked the idea that we play with expectations and we play with the audience. We always like that, so that we kind of show this dollhouse and then we we show the real house, the lodge, and sometimes you don't know where you are or you might not be sure if someone is kind of pulling the strings and playing. It's, yeah, it's like a metaphor for the whole yes. film. You can never be too sure who is playing with the, the dolls or who is like playing with the puppets on the strings. Please tell me you kept the dollhouse. Yeah, it's. Like <laughs> I have it. My attic. Do you take care of like little sea monkeys? That's the little side of it. Though. Actually, my 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 boys. I have two children. My boys did when they were young. Oh. So this, yeah, some small autobiographical. Oh, that's like a nice little touch there. I like that. It's always dangerous if we, in like in our films, say it's autobiographical because people think we're crazy. But <laughs> some parts, of course, are about sea monkeys. That's like a very crazy thing to have as a kid. <laughs> But 
then your kids go like, thanks for putting me in this really dark, disturbing film. <laughs> yes. <laughs> of course. The natural cycle. Are they old Even enough to watch it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. yeah. yeah. Are they into to genre films also? Yeah, I mean... I think so, actually. The young, I mean, the younger one, he's now 16. He saw Goodnight Mummy when he was 14. But I didn't allow him to watch it, but he did, like, <laughs> secretly. So 14-year-olds do. Yes. <laughs> actually, with the twin boys who are his friends in the meantime, like the actors. Um, so, actually, he said it was his first real horror movie. And yeah, since that he's kind of yeah. <laughs> that's that's what happens it's when your starting point is a movie like that. <laughs> so you guys are also extremely talented when it comes to casting here too. And with this ensemble, the family dynamic is super important. Was there any particular role you thought you had to cast first and then build the ensemble around, or was it just as the uh, you know the offers went out, the auditions happened, and how everything unfolded naturally? I th- yeah, I, th- I don't think that we had like this one person and built everything around uh, because, like, also in the movie, they are not like uh, connected. Grace is like not somebody who is part of that family. So we felt, of course, the boy and the girl, they should be like, uh, they should work together well and they should fit. And for example, there's a story we always tell there is this one girl who looks exactly like the twin sister of the younger sister, maybe, or twin sister of Jaden uh, Martel, who is now in the movie. And everyone said, okay, you could take her. She looks exactly right. But we felt with uh, Leah, whom we really deeply love, uh, who plays the part now, um, it made much more sense for us because she has such a tremendous energy and she really keeps pushing Jaden and keeps pushing the whole thing. And the other girl, she looked like uh, perfect, but still she was very similar to Jaden, meaning very introverted and a bit shy. And for a movie where like um, something needs to happen and things need to go on and we rely on improvisation, um, somebody needs to be the very energetic part who keeps pushing and in our case that was Lear so those two I think we um, needed to like there is not one person and the other good person but they only work in relation to each other but of course it's all about chemistry between people and actually in Europe we are used to audition all the actors or actresses together uh, also together and also famous ones, which is like in, in this system, in the U.S. system, w- was not possible for us. I mean, OK, if you're Quentin Tarantino, maybe everyone kind of used to to be auditioned. But <laughs> in our case, uh, we could like watch films. We, we did Skypes. We kind of met actors and actresses in person. But we like we didn't audition Riley, for example, mm-hmm. um, which was actually a good lesson for us because we learned that we, you have to really trust your kind of, how do you say, guts or like your intuition. So um, uh, by just talking to to her and we really kind of knew immediately, like even in the first Skype, yeah. Yeah, during the first Skype, and then when we met her, that she's the one. It was a great Skype because she actually, she was rather sleepy and appeared <laughs> as if she wouldn't know for which movie we were talking, who we were, <laughs> what the whole thing was about. And we saw something in her nevertheless and felt, okay, she's totally right. She was very honest, uh, fragile, very funny, very unpretentious at the same yes. time. So we could feel, okay, she's Not right. Not vain at all. Yeah. yeah. 
She's so good. Mm -hmm. I still kind of can't get over her performance in this, but it was really weird having seen her in your movie last year. And then have you heard of the movie Zola? Yeah, we we heard about that. She's she's in that, and it's just... I, between the two movies, you could see that she's got more range than just about mm-hmm. anyone out there. Between the two performances, I'm just like, I'm blown away by her. No, she's, Us too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's so disciplined. I mean, it's kind of, she's really, which you wouldn't, she's very normal at the same time, very much herself, but she's a super disciplined, hardworking actress. So, And we were like surprised that she didn't have like more like leading parts so far and we hope this changes now uh, for her because she's like one of the most talented people around when you're directing uh, a leading actor on a you know a movie that needs them to go to such high emotional highs and things like that were you able to in any way shoot in sequence or save the highest points and how did you sort of dictate where she needed to be throughout mm-hmm. yeah we we shot in sequence uh which was a very hard thing to achieve because, like, making films, uh, I mean, it costs a lot of money. It's uh, production obviously wants to structure it in a way that makes most sense for them, which means uh, very time and money efficient. Shooting uh, in sequence is, like, the opposite of that. I mean, it makes no sense for production at all. You have to have actors fly in several times. You have to, I mean, it, it doesn't make any sense but for us, it makes ultimately it's the thing that makes most sense and that really helped our actors to to go to those dark places. Because we always say, like, if we had shot the last scene first, then it's just like we are all guessing where the movie will end up. And I think no one would have guessed that they would go that far. So if you start at one point and then keep going, 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 like to a very dark place, I think you go much further than uh, you would have expected. And I think that's what we tried, like take the actors like <laughs> by the hand in a way and just keep going and see where we end up. Actually, we, we already worked uh, like this in Goodnight Mummy. Mm-hmm. And we, all, we, we also, I mean, we, in Goodnight Na- Mummy, uh, we didn't even give um, scripts out. So the, the boys uh, would not know the story. And so we kind of only talked the scenes through and explained to them what, what's going on. And uh, yeah, so we, we kind of worked on it from day to day on day to day basis this is not possible here of course because you have to send it out <laughs> to everyone <clears throat> well like and you I said think, no, oh, please no no i think it's also like not so necessary here because like also the the child actors like Jaden and Lear they are also like incredible and incredibly professional like in austria they like the boys they had never been in front of a camera before and you have to think a lot or like invest a lot like to protect them in a way to um like the worst thing is if they get the idea oh i'm an actor i'm now very important i'm on a stage so this is the opposite of what we're going for and we did everything to prevent that from happening like first thing being like not even giving them a script that was not necessary this time. <laughs> well, like you said, sort of shooting in sequence is the opposite of what the logistics team probably yes. wants you to do. Mm-hmm. So how do you convince the money people that that's what needs to happen? I mean, it was difficult, but it was not that difficult because it was shot in one house, basically, mm-hmm. the lodge. And we had, you know, the surroundings, like the the snow and the, the isolation. Mm-hmm. This was difficult to achieve. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, Americans usually they say, okay, let's go. Let's let's uh, let's go 
um, to a studio and shoot it there. And and at first they showed us like houses uh, on location. They all looked isolated, but they weren't because they were like the highway underneath and like neighbors and and this was kind of a misunderstanding in the beginning. So uh, we for, kind for of us it's like a, it's an overall package. Like I think we know what we want and like shooting in sequence as Veronica said is only possible if you are on location, if you can use the inside and like and the outside of mm -hmm. the house, like the exterior shots, if you can like 360 use everything around, if you're flexible, then our way of shooting is possible. And it's not possible in any other way. Like if you have to split exterior and interior shot uh, shots, it's not possible to work that way. And we like, I mean, we could explain it like to the producers because They wanted us like to do the movie and they liked Good Night Mommy, so we could just like tell them, okay, but this film only worked because we did it that way and uh, we want to do it again <laughs> because <laughs> otherwise it might not work. So what is the geography of the house like in reality versus what we see on screen? Is that the actual layout or are there any moments where you had to kind of like cheat where a room was? Actually, we cheated more in, in Good Night Mummy. Yes. Huh. <laughs> oh <laughs> this house is just a house. That's, like. that's so incredibly fortunate. <laughs> yes, we actually. We looked at a lot of houses. <laughs> yeah, actually, I think we, we fell in love. Yeah, we, we looked for, I don't know, for weeks and months. So yeah, actually, producers were, were, were desperate because we could not find the right place. But then when we saw this house, like the attic uh, was so kind of... Um, It's so impressing yeah, and weird. special and weird and yeah so we kind of fell in love with that and then we kind of yeah we we yeah and also we we included like the opinion of the cinematographer um uh who is like the most important collaborator of ours and he also liked it and yeah no actually it's, i think it's the other way around it's not like that we cheated with this house but that actually we saw things that this house really had And then we re-included those in the script. So actually there was no attic in the script, but we saw it and felt, okay, this is like the best thing about the house. We need to write something for the attic. And then we asked ourselves, um, what's, the, what's the proper moment in the script for this attic to appear? It's like, like directing actresses. You always have to ask yourself, when is the perfect moment for this trait for this character trait for this uh, thing to appear in a way and also with the attic we like waited for quite a while in the movie to, to show the attic because we feel it's rather uh, impressive and it makes a strong impression and it might not have any made this impression when we show the attic just at the moment when they arrive at the lodge in a way. so we saved it for later so what Severin is saying is that we treat the house as a character mm -hmm. we also did that with good and mummy it all, all, always kind of yeah it has kind of yeah human i don't know <laughs> um i don't know feelings maybe not but it has like how do you say eigenschaften <laughs> yeah, character yeah. traits in yeah, a way char yeah character like, traits <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it has character traits, and also we use it to tell something about, like, like in this case, it's because the it's the house of the the, the mother. mother of the children. So yeah. it's kind of it tells something about her. It's like the mother watching the children and watching Riley watching the new, the new life. Yeah. That's also like if you ask yourself, how do I shoot this shot, and where do I put the camera? That's also something that. Uh, 
um, that plays a huge part of that. Like then when we decided with the cinematographer together that we wanted like it to look as if the mother or if as, as if somebody watched them. Like for example, now now that puts into focus like a couple of direct overhead shots that are going to have new uh, meaning for me when I watch yes, it a sixth six time. time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're nearing spoiler territory yeah. now. Do you want to ask any more non-spoiler things before we, we creep over there? Um, nothing's leaping out at me. You, any any last hurdles to clear? I'm just so excited to get into spoilers. I can't yeah. help it. I know. Because <laughs> well, right. then we get to like talk I know, about really, the whole like, Really movie. go into yeah. it. So hopefully at this point we've convinced you to check out The Lodge. It's going to be in theaters on February 7th. So do check it out. Neon is releasing this one. I'm a big fan of Neon. So congratulations just for everybody who's leaving us. <laughs> Keep an eye out for it. And here's the warning. This is your one and only warning. The Lodge spoilers are happening right now. Leave if you haven't seen the movie. Go see it and then come right back for this part of the conversation. Okay. Yeah. Do you want to take it first? Uh, whoa. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, I am curious if there was ever as you were writing the script a cons- or you know, reworking the script, whatever you want to describe it as, a consideration to stay with the kids from their point of view as this was all happening or or if it was always sort of a, a mystery type situation hmm. yeah i don't think so actually i think in this case like in good night mommy it was like uh we thought like the initial plan was to split it like 50 50 first only show it from the kids point of view and then only stay with the mother and mm-hmm. we didn't like it didn't turn out to be that clear like 100% clear after all but that was the idea and in that case uh, the idea was to switch the perspective much more often so that you as an audience you can never be sure like w- we describe it you're on a on a layer of ice like or on a frozen lake and you can never be sure how thick is the ice am I going to break in? So you're like, you're walking and well, you could like, every step could be the last one. And that could also go for like the person, the point of view, whose point of view you share. Mm-hmm. You're with one person and then maybe you're with another one and then you're forced to be with another one. So you, the whole film is designed never to be too sure about anything. Also the perspective of the lodge and the dollhouse, as Veronica mentioned before, I think it's all things to keep you at the edge and to make you uncertain or unsure of what's going to happen next, even like who's going to be the protagonist next. Mm. I I um, am just generally a bit afraid of children, so I'm always <laughs> very suspicious of them. And uh, I, I just was – there's a version of that film you were kind of saying – we were talking about it before – where you follow them sort of rigging the house and doing the hijinks. <laughs> that would be very interesting to see because um, children are terrifying. <laughs> yes, so are adults, I think. Th- that's yeah. also Humans true. are terrifying. <laughs> no, that is, uh, that's very, very accurate. Yeah. Uh, one, sorry, one last, uh, one last uh, thing to that. I mean, r- showing the children rigging the house, yet yeah, it could be interesting, but actually we felt it's much, like for us it was much more interesting to stay with the kids after the the twist in a way. So we ask ourselves, how would this movie go on? Because the first version of the script, it was like finished after the twist, basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is this showdown, but then it was done. We felt, okay, what what would happen 
afterwards it was if it was a real situation there is this twist we know the kids did that and the question is um what would happen like in reality and you actually really thought that would be like the thing that interested us most did you ever work with uh, Jaden on a little bit of backstory for Aiden? Because this is a, a pretty big prank in a sense to have pulled off. So I was just <laughs> curious, is there anything in his history, like things he used to do in school or anything like that, that would kind of point to him heading down this kind of path? We didn't tell him anything like that, actually. But um, both kids really, when they came to set, they were very prepared. So first day they came, we kind of gave them an improvisation, I don't know, exercise. So we told them, oh, please t uh, talk about your mother, like just as, as siblings, talk about her, what you like about her, what you don't like. And they could improvise for an hour without any mistake. So, um, so yeah, we didn't give him like a specific... Um, character trait I mean we kind of he's a climber like he, he he likes to climb you see that like he has on on a I don't know if you have seen it even though you saw it five times <laughs> but in his room there is a, a wall like where he cl he <laughs> he climbs and he also kind of climbing gear climbing gear in his kind of uh, suitcase or bag <laughs> so he has this kind of like um, mm, hobby yeah but as a character... No, I think it's like they're so... Like, all of those actors were so amazing that I think that's stuff that they would really think about for themselves. So I think this is stuff they would prepare. What we, like, what we did is, like, stupid stuff. Like, we felt, okay, your brother and sister, you need to spend every second together from now on. You need to go ice skating. You need to do... The, we just did, like brother sister stuff to make like this family this family work together i think that's something that you can prepare on your own like Jaden is like the most amazing actor but he can prepare being the brother of leah without leah so we felt now we have to really focus on bringing this family together and making them like really know each other and trust each other and actually i don't even think this the kids are especially evil Actually, to me, like when we kind of uh, worked on the script, it's not. I mean, they blame Grace uh, being responsible for the death of her mother, and they don't like to go, like to go, don't like to go with her to the lodge. And it's kind of a. I mean, kids can come up with like pranks, and I think the tragic about it is that they underestimate what they are going for. And this was what interested us, that they actually at a certain point want even to take it back because they underestimated it. And so they are no monsters, actually. As everyone else, they are kind of human beings, and they can do good and bad. And this is, I think, what interests us. I think, yeah, like we could say we are very, like, sadists. In a way, <laughs> because <laughs> really? we don't. Yeah, no, I think it's not about showing sadistic people like with a twist and somebody's evil, and then it's like that. But we bring the, all of those people who are actually for us they're innocent. We bring them in a terrible situation <laughs> and watch them being stuck there. So that that might be sadistic. It's like a laboratory <laughs> of Doctor Sakamasok. <laughs> I I think you kind of hit on why I find kids scary though, because it's not an act of evil. It's just yeah. like not completely developed morality and. And the conviction that what you're, you know, you're doing what you believe in. That makes it very scary, I think, so yeah. too, because yeah. it's like happening with an innocence. 
it's yeah. like terribly violent sometimes. I mean, not in like not, not in our movie, but what kids do is sometimes terribly violent, but at the same time innocent, and that makes it very hard to take. I think. Did you guys find yourself empathizing with a specific character, you know, in the script phase and maybe that changing as you <laughs> went through production? Because I was telling Haley earlier that on my first viewing, I was much quicker to forgive the kids. And the mm. more I watch it, the more my heart breaks for Grace. Mm. This was intended. <laughs> <laughs> Success. <laughs> Uh, yeah, actually, I think we feel for all of them, as, as Severin said, it's like a, uh, it's like a laboratory, like a situation in a labor- laboratory. Like uh, so, you 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 kind of yeah you <laughs> you put them together and like I think it, it's always yeah. depending on the situation. I mean, everyone of us can be good or bad depending on the situation because we all have like we all have a certain character, and I think you know being good or being bad are two sides of the same coin or of the same metal. So in certain situations, you would be good, and the same kind of character trait is bad in another situation. So. We don't believe in like bad, only bad people or only good people, but in people who kind of are also depending on situations they're in. And there is another issue we always have is like about communication. So, you know, I mean, I think Americans are maybe different than us in Europe. Um, I find it that you kind of communicate more directly than us. So for us, it's always like one of the themes we have is how to talk, how to talk like honestly about problems or about abysses or about fears how how would you do that our film um, could be a pretty normal family movie if they just talk to each other maybe, properly. <laughs> maybe even a comedy yeah. <laughs> oh my god that actually would be a really interesting exercise yeah. if like the lodge 2 wasn't necessarily a direct sequel but just like a yeah, complete reboot. reimagining of the situation <laughs> yeah. from from that kind of perspective yes a, a functional <laughs> version that's yeah, interesting kind of curious to see it now yeah. Yeah, <laughs> might be wrong directors for functional families. <laughs> we guys oh. go for it. You first. You also with this movie get to sort of tap into a very robust su- subgenre, which is cult horror. And uh, I'm curious sort of what your approach was to creating your own movie cult and how much you wanted to show, how much you wanted to leave up to the imagination and how much there is for people to rewatch and discover more if they want to. Yeah, I think we're usually like, as with the house, uh, uh, we're usually inspired by reality. So we researched lots of actual cults and took all the bits and pieces that we that we liked. It's more or less not movie cults or cults. I mean, we, we love like, of course, Wicker Man and, and Devil's Reign and stuff like that. But still, for inspiration, we went to like those real cults and watched documentaries and took the, the parts that we liked. And actually, we have to like also say, as we are inspired by people, the the cult leader in our movie is like Riley's actual father, and we were like casting, didn't find somebody to play our cult priest. We had cast Riley at this point; mm. she was FaceTiming her dad, 
um, she just like turned her mobile phone and said, "Say hi to my dad." And we we're like, "Okay, that's the guy. That's the guy. And, we need him." <laughs> and of course, he also like shaped the cult in a way, just with his like appearance, his personality. He brought himself also to this. His he voice. Like, yeah, his voice. <laughs> he was like improvising, so a lot of uh, his personality is also like in the cult. So it's like not like our not our like vision in a way it's like lots of small pieces like as filmmaking is always about collaboration uh, i think lots of people and and things and and uh, universes contributed to the to our cult what was his reaction when all of a sudden <laughs> you guys approached him and said, how about playing our cult leader? Actually, I think he was very cool. He said, why not? <laughs> <laughs> He's a very cool guy. He's a m musician. And yeah, and actually he was great because he had to play underwater scenes. Mm -hmm. And uh, he used to be a, like a diver, diver in Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. So he was very professional. <laughs> And could kind of also protect Riley, who also had to kind of do these underwater scenes and, uh, yeah, w which are difficult if you're not used to it uh, because you have no air and you have yeah. to, you know, it's it, it's scary, actually. So, yeah, they it's worked. It's almost like it was all meant to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, and that was, like, the best thing about casting that we found out and that, that's, like, we know we can trust ourselves and our instincts I think even more after this film because we found out that all the characters all the actors um, had something to do with the characters uh, they played like on a deeper level and we didn't know about that we hadn't like talked to them for that long but every single one was really connected to the character which was weird like not only like Riley's father being a scuba diver I mean that's not part of it but he also kind of grew up in a cult-like environment which mm. we didn't know but he was like at one point when we shot kind of really touched or moved or whatever and we, we asked him like uh, if he was alright and then he said yeah it's just like when I grew up and I was like we didn't know about that okay. but it was like true for all the characters that they had something to do with the, or for all the actors that they had something to do with the characters they played I also wanted to ask you guys about the other house out in the, the snow and just specifically about the process of designing that and how you settled on that particular vision in the end it's real it's real of course <laughs> we, we found it yeah. <laughs> why, why does that exist <laughs> that's a good question that we can answer <laughs> <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's a like um, memorial thing that three huh. brothers who own some land like in uh, north uh, to Montreal, in the exact spot that their father died, they built this weird cross-shaped, uh, crucifix-shaped house like yeah. as a memorial. But they're also hunters, so they would use it like for hunting and shoot like animals from the top of the house. And unfortunately, it's not existing anymore because there was a huge blizzard that took it down because those brothers didn't have, I think, so many. Like, they, they were not, like, really good at building houses that last <laughs> for longer than some years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and actually, we at first, when we found it, uh, we considered it also to be, like, the main lodge. Yeah. But, of, of course, I mean... This cross shape, it's too weird and too extreme to be kind of the, the like the, the yeah the the lodge where they kind of regularly go to to spend their vacation. So we kind of, again, we kind of 
found some way. It was not in the script, actually. So we found a house. So we said, okay, we have to use this incredible house. So we kind of included it uh, by writing some additional scenes that she is like mm. uh, but it, it's seeing it. Yeah, it's really like for us, like uh, about reality, also in the sense that for the lodge, we looked at really lots of lodges, not only like. Uh, for real, but also like on the internet and in uh, books and stuff, just to get those weird ideas. People do stuff uh, that you couldn't think of, like in their lodge. It's, it's rather like weird stuff, like putting a television exactly in front of a window or above the fireplace where it also doesn't make any sense. But seeing all of those weird images really inspires us strongly, and we feel that's where we... And taking those bits from reality and reassembling them and turning... It into a genre, like a, a vision in a way, that's, I think, what we're good at and interested in. So now that we're in spoiler territory, I did want to ask about working with Jaden and Leah and also Riley, too, with some of, like, the really intense high-emotion scenes. You talk yeah. about the stuff in the attic. Was there any one scene like that in particular where you guys got to had a, you had to be looking out for your cast to make sure everyone was comfortable and just what was the most challenging thing in that kind of sense? I think the most challenging thing was the ending, actually. It really got to us. I mean, all of us, actually. So the very last scene. Mm. Um, I'm sure it's even more powerful for you guys when you're shooting in sequence. Yes. And it's like not just like yes, a Yes, because really you go scene. there together. Yeah. I mean, you go like, yeah, you, you go there together holding hands and <laughs> hoping <laughs> not <laughs> not to fall into all these abysses we can stare, we kind of stare and at. And then you shoot it five times. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, of course. Uh, but uh, to me, it was really like the last scene really felt magic and uh, it really touched me. So I can say that usually it's all, of course, it's also mechanical or you, you know you have to repeat scenes so it's 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 not that magical um but actually i think it's interesting that you say the kids and also riley because i think for us the kind of you know the the journey um uh, riley takes uh into kind of i don't know where to <laughs> um this was very very difficult to achieve uh, like the graduation of it so that it kind of you know it's not overdone at first and then kind of it, so but this it all makes sense and, like, and at one point it was very funny she said to us usually I only have to play one of those crazy scenes per movie <laughs> but I have to do it every day here yeah. <laughs> that's what she said so she really um, had her work cut out for her yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, well also with the final shot I'm sort of like one of my obsessions is opening and closing shots of the oh. film. And uh, I'm curious about your guys' sort of journey to landing on those. Where, how much was it found in the edit and finding the exact moment to cut it? And how much of it was in the writing and knowing the imagery you wanted? Yeah, the, the, honest, like the, the honest answer like for the closing shot is that we always knew how the film, like how the ending should feel. That it should like really, it's like, eating some chicken and then you realize the bone is like stuck and you're like oh, and then we wanted the film to end and, like that and also the singing so all what what's happening like was planned like that but like the actually what we shot or how we wanted to shoot it was like it was conceived a bit differently it was like 
it starts with the dollhouse and the whole film should have ended with the camera like flying out of the and house and then you have this house looking like like the actors mm. and the house again like a dollhouse which conceptually made total sense to us but still like for the camera to pull back and go out of the house it takes a long time in a way and it felt too big like the gesture in a way it was too big yeah. too pretentious and not like you you realize that you like are have a chicken bone stuck in your in your throat and you're like okay I have to get this out hmm, uh, what am I gonna do so it was like it lost some of the tension it had so um, and every one of us realized that but we couldn't solve it and then actually Aaron until, or, yeah, until yeah. the very last day of editing yes. <laughs> yeah. and we had our very producer, last day. Yeah, producer like in the editing room and he suggested that like, something like that And we all were like, that's amazing. And then he, he started like doubting his own decision. He was like, okay, if they like it, something's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I didn't mean it like that. I didn't mean it like that. But then it was too late to pull back. And yeah, we think it's kind of the right, uh, the right note to end the, the, the movie. Yeah, makes a big, a big, big impression. Yeah, and just a real quick follow-up on that. This always, you know, ties into, like, the how do you end your movie? Because, like, really any movie could, I, in theory, end a million ways, right? But, like, specifically this ending, and it is that feeling you're choking on something. How – was there ever a variant in how much you showed of, like, how bad that gets immediately after you cut? Because – It leaves you with that pit and that feeling. There's definitely, I feel, some filmmakers who would have gone the the full in-your-face route and show you everything. So I'm curious your decision not to do that. But I think that would even felt... I think if I would kind of show it or see it longer, then it would feel in a way cathartic, in a, in a weird ah. way, because then you play it out and it's not something... Whatever which, happens. Which, whatever happens. Yeah. It doesn't stay with you in a way... Oh, there are, you know, different kind of variation. What's gonna, what's could, what, what could happen? So, uh, I think this makes much more sense. But yes, we we tried different versions of, um, yeah, you could hear kind of gunshots, for example. Yeah, but outside of the house. Yes, then, but, but never, we never kind of wanted to show. Something. We think it's right, like for the imagery of like purgatory, that the yeah. kids actually they want to convince her they are in purgatory, and by doing that and really pushing her over the edge, they actually end up in exactly that place that they, it's, it started as a prank, but they end up in actual purgatory. And in purgatory, I think you're stuck, and that's why we felt we cannot resolve the situation either way. Either she shoots the children, the children shoot her. That would be kind of a resolve, but they're all stuck there for eternity in a mm -hmm. way, and in the worst possible moment, in a moment where you know, oh God, it's so terrible, and that's kind of going on forever now. And yeah, You don't know what's going to happen, but you know it's probably not yeah. good. <laughs> uh, one super random question. Uh, we're both big, big fans of The Thing, How'd oh. you settle on that That's footage in the movie? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's one of the coldest movies, and we felt we need to have something Heck to yeah. uh, chill them, chill them down even more in a way. <laughs> It um, just made me really happy to see that. <laughs> we, we, I mean, first off, we totally loved the movie, like as you all do. I think um, it's one of the greatest horror films, and it's also a horror film where you never know. Who's the thing? Who is the bad guy? Who is the monster? And we felt this really, like, on a different level, reflects what we were trying to do. 
you can never be sure in our movie like all of them are like have all the shades of gray and are not like purely evil or something evil might come up it's like the thing it's unexpected and you don't know uh, so we feel those films are are connected uh, although like the thing is like a true masterpiece and we're like uh, yeah did you guys have a backup if you couldn't get the rights to use it? We're not backup people. Usually. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely applaud that. Uh, so as we wind down this episode of The Witching yes. Hour, we always like ending on the same two questions. You want to go first or should I? You go first. Okay. So I'll go with the lighter one first. Surprise <laughs> me. We, we ask everybody this question. Do you have any pets? Right now? Yeah. yeah. I don't. No. Oh, wow. Okay. It's very rare. Yeah. We're, we're drawing a big connection with, uh, with genre filmmakers being big pet lovers. Yeah. But you kill a dog in the movie, so. Oh. <laughs> we're in the spoiler hit, section. It's yeah. fine. Yeah. We hit dogs and children, so. <laughs> I'm only offended by the dog part. Most people are. That's weird. Isn't people it People like dogs more than humans. That's um, not really understandable to me. I mean, I like dogs, actually, but. I think, well, aren't humans by nature kind of self-loathing a little bit? So it kind of makes sense to me. Like, you don't see yourself in a dog, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. It's also because the dogs are more helpless. Yeah, I feel worse for them. Mm. I mean, they're not completely defenseless. I I don't know. I'm just trying to give myself an (laughs) excuse right now. (laughs) (laughs) Talk about dogs. Yeah, really. Um, Okay, so. But we had, I mean, I never had pets, actually. I I wanted to have a turtle, but my mom didn't buy me one. I had guinea pigs. I had. Yeah, you had. um, I even know the names of her guinea pigs. I had cats. That's how well we know each other. (laughs) What was the guinea pig's name? Uh, Hansi, no. uh, Uh, no. No, that was the. That was the gold hamster. Gold hamster. <laughs> gold hamster is... Uh, no, the, the, there was tick, trick, and track, the, the three <laughs> guinea pigs. Uh, you never told me about those. <laughs> There's still some secrets, secrets left. <laughs> thank you for giving us that. That's and thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Do you guys use social media? Is there anywhere our viewers can kind of like follow your, your work and... I mean, see everything as it evolves. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no. We can give our phone numbers. <laughs> you can call us. Maybe keep that to yourself. <laughs> Instead, I will just keep uh, an eye on IMDb. Actually, his, his mobile phone doesn't work here in the states because it's such an old phone. Oh, wow. It's not. <laughs> it's not uh, working. <laughs> well, I haven't been called in days, and it's. Yeah, it's not so bad, actually. <laughs> so it's nice good. to be a little freeing, as long as you know that you're going to go home to your house and the power's not going to be out and you could charge it when you need there to, you right? Go. Just in case. Um, in that case, though, I'm going to urge everyone out there, if you're still with us now, you've probably seen The Lodge, but that also means you should be telling people who haven't seen The Lodge to see it. So get on that. Haley, where can everyone find your work on the socials? You can find me on Twitter at Haley Fouch and Instagram at Haystack McGroovy. And I'm at Emeroff on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you guys so much for watching and listening. You have officially survived the witching hour. Napa know-how. This month, Napa's got all kinds of motor oil deals that can save you some serious cash. Like a five-quart jug of Napa full synthetic motor oil for just $16.49. With savings like that, you may start feeling like a VIP. But don't let it go to your head. These oil deals are for everyone. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. General states pricing. Sales prices not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. Offer ends 831.20. 
There's an underdog story happening today in America. Small businesses are fighting to make a comeback, but in the moment they have the least, they're giving the most. They're rallying communities and neighborhoods, yet asking for little in return. Well, it's time we gave back. Small Unites is making it simple for everyone to take action and support the small businesses that unite us all. Find out how you can donate, shop, and share today at smallunites.org.